0: Yes, Jesus Christ is alive. He rose from the dead in that day, that Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter, when Mary and Mary Magdalene in Siloam went to the grave expecting to anoint a dead body. They saw the angel sitting there. And they said, where is Jesus? The angel said, he is not here, he is risen. I submit to you tonight that that's the greatest news the world has ever heard. He is not here, he has conquered the grave, he's alive. And ladies and gentlemen, I believe that there's more proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead than almost any other fact in Roman history. I don't believe there's a fact in ancient history today so well proven as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But even if there was no proof, no historical proof, No scientific proof. And there is. I would still believe it because I believe this book is God's inspired Word. And the whole early church went up and down the country preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was the thing that shook the Roman Empire. That a man had risen from the dead. That he was alive. That death could not hold him. Christ is alive. He's a living
1: savior. We are more than conquerors through Christ. You have overcome this world, life. We will not bow to sin or to shame. We are defined in Your name. You are the fire that cannot be tamed. You are the.
2: chapter 2, verse 4 to 10 says this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, the amazing thing is, even as we celebrate Easter and the fact that Christ rose, um, here it says that for those that have accepted Christ, That even when we, when we were dead in our trespasses, that we were made alive together with Christ. And so Christ conquered the grave, but he conquered the grave on our behalf. And for everyone that is part of his family, we also have this hope that we will be resurrected. And so this next song that we're going to sing really speaks to that. And uh, I think it's a great way to think about how the resurrection of Christ uh, has impacted us.
1: soul now your freedom is all that I know the old may knew Jesus when I met you you called my name I ran out of that grave out of Glorious
3: day You call you have to have some live where. Hey, I just want to welcome you here this morning. We're really glad that you're celebrating Easter with us. I know for some of you, it's like, well, I'll come to church on Easter, but that's about it. Uh, maybe Easter, maybe Christmas, but we're just tickled pink that you're here, that you chose to come and spend a little bit of time with us this morning. We're grateful for the chance to come. And I don't know about you, but Easter is a time to celebrate. And so I would like to see, you know, maybe just fake it a while or whatever, a little few smiles this morning. Some of you could do that, and it'd be okay if you didn't get enough coffee. We have some coffee that helps you smile. That'd be okay. We're just grateful for your presence. If you're here, and this is the very first time you've come to Creekside Church, there is in the seat in front of you, beneath the seat in front of you, there's a little card. And if you would take some time and fill that card out, and then when the the offering little, uh, they're not baskets, they're little pouches are passed. As our guests, that's all we want you to put in that pouch. And I I promise you that I'm not going to come and visit you at your house. I just would like to send you an email or a note. We're just grateful for your presence here. If you have questions, you have prayer requests, you have concerns or whatever, that'd be great. We'd love to be able to acknowledge that or be able to help you with that if we could in any way. There are a lot of things going on in the church, so you can read the bulletin. I'm convinced that people who don't read don't listen, so I'm not going to announce everything that's in there. You can read it, and if you have any questions afterwards, that's fine. You can talk to me or one of the people at our welcome table. If you're here and this is your first time, I want you to stop at our welcome table because the, the folks out there would love to give you a gift. It's not anything big, so I'm um, you know not going. it's not like... Uh, Let's make a deal or anything, but it's a nice little mug or something that you can have uh, as our gift to you. And I have one thing that I do want to make aware of, make you aware of. And for those who are guests, this is probably a kind of an in-house thing. But there's somebody who's been coming to, to Creekside for a long time, and, and this guy has put in a lot of hard work. And I want to acknowledge Alfonso, Alfonso, uh, our brother. Uh, he just received word that he passed his oral uh, test. To become a citizen of the United States. So uh, let's just give him a shout out. So, yeah, yeah. Bless his heart. Bless his heart. Yeah. And some folks from the church have been working with him real hard on that. He has to take, he has a swearing in a ceremony, which hasn't taken place yet, but he's gonna, he's gonna be a, a recognized naturalized citizen of the United States. So we're just grateful for that. It's a, a great day in the church history. We remember the resurrection, but I want to tell you what, folks. Jesus rose from the dead a long time ago, so really every day is resurrection day. It's not just today. This is the day we specially remember it. So I'm going to just uh, pray, and then we're going to continue. We're going to pass the, the, the offering, if you would acknowledge that. Let's pray. Father, it's a great day to be in your presence. And I just thank you for each one here. I know there's no accidents. Everybody is here by divine appointment. And I pray that as we take up this offering that you'd use the gifts from our regular church family for your glory and for the advancement of your cause. And I thank you that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What did I miss? Am I on? My bad, I didn't get the memo. That's all right, we don't have to do that if you don't no, want that's to.
2: All right,
3: we can I didn't get the memo, sorry. What a great way to make first impressions, okay. right? Isn't that the truth? We make mistakes, but the Lord loves us. Um, all right. We're going to be uh, looking at Mark chapter 16 this morning, so if uh, you have a Bible, that'd be great. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there is one underneath the seat in front of you, and I think the page number is printed on the little outline there for you, so you could do that. Mark chapter 16, I'm going to be uh, sharing a few thoughts from that. I have a question for you this morning. What is, the, what is the greatest, think in your mind, don't answer this out loud, please, yet, okay? What is the greatest victory that you have ever personally witnessed, okay? It may be a sports victory, it may be a military victory, it may be a political victory. I'm not going to get political on you, but you can think in your own mind, okay? What is the greatest victory that you personally have ever witnessed, Okay, you got it locked in your mind? Not yet, huh? Well, some people would say that the greatest victory they witnessed personally, and some of you, maybe you'd have to be really old, I guess, and that's not a knock. The victory of Hitler in World War II, okay? That may be one of those victories you've seen. Some of you may be thinking, well, maybe it was last week when we, we saw the um, Kansas beat Kentucky, okay? Some of you maybe say, well, it was Iowa State's victory over Oklahoma back in October, their football team, when they beat number thir- three-ranked Oklahoma. For me, the greatest victory that I personally ever witnessed was the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team's victory over the Russians in the 1980 Olympics, Okay? I actually stayed home from church to watch the game, okay? This is a confession. I was, I was in my dorm room at the University of Northern Iowa watching on my little nine-inch TV that my grandpa got me for graduation, okay? It was the greatest victory ever because it was the U.S. hockey team was like a, like a mediocre college team playing a professional hockey team, and and we won. won. It it was great. The fact is, though, this morning, that none of us was ever alive to see the best victory that was ever won in all of history. And that victory was when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and conquered sin and death and hell, and there was an empty tomb and that's the greatest victory ever. 2,000 years ago, that was the best victory ever. And the profound impact of that victory is recorded for us in the Gospel of Mark, not only there but other places, but in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. It makes clear that the, the activity of the women who visited this tomb gives us a picture into the significance and the importance Of this victory. And this morning, I just want to walk us through this text and see that the benefits of the victory that can only be appreciated by those who are truly God's children is unpacked for us. And you can read it on the screen, but there are three possible ways of us interacting with the resurrection of Jesus Christ that are kind of portrayed for us in these women's lives. And they serve several purposes. First, it convinces us of the reality that Jesus did rise from the dead. It confirms for us his true identity. It convicts us that only through personal faith or trust in Jesus can we enjoy that victory. And then finally, it compels us to go out and tell that story. I'm thinking, you know, I don't have any trouble telling you that the U.S. men's hockey team whipped the Russians in 1980 and I'm very excited about it you know now why would I have trouble telling people that I'm excited about the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and conquered sin and death and hell and I personally benefit from it and partake of it I'm going to read Mark chapter 16 verses 1 through 8 we're going to unpack these truths this morning Verse one, and when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices, bought spices, and they made that they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they were saying to one another, "Who will roll away the stone from us?" from the entrance of the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you into Galilee there you will see him just as he said to you and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid well the first thing that i see in the text that the women the way they responded they expected the normal They were coming to the tomb. They'd seen Jesus crucified. They'd seen him buried. They bought spices. They wanted to complete the normal burial process that had been interrupted by the the Sabbath, which was their holy day, which they took time off to, to worship, and they didn't do the normal stuff. So they came bringing their spices, and they brought them to anoint Jesus. It was an act of devotion act of respect for, for the dead. They were going to honor him. And their primary concern as they came, I found it kind of humorous as I read the text. Well, now, who's going to roll away this stone? Well, really? You're just now thinking of that? I mean, they're on their way to the tomb, and there's this huge, big rock that's been rolled, in, and it's kind of like it's easy to roll it into place, because it's slightly downhill, but you can't roll it out of place very easily. But God took care of it for them, so they didn't have to worry about it. Their dilemma was there. They were anticipating the usual. Now, the normal, the routine, the ritual of burial. They were coming, and they were coming, and they would go through the motions They had certain potions, certain mixtures of stuff that they would apply to the body. And then they would express their their sorrowful and heartfelt emotions. But it was still a ritual. It was still, they were doing what you did. They were expecting a dead body to be there. They would mourn the loss of the great teacher. The guy who was supposed to deliver Israel from the Roman oppression. They were waiting for the Savior, the Messiah, this great teacher, and he was dead. So like, what do we do now? How, how do we go through life now? It's hard. They believed the Messiah. Their hopes were dashed when Jesus died. Some of you baseball fans, now the major league season is underway. Some of you remember if you were a Cubs fan that several years ago they were on their way to the pennant, but that their hopes were dashed when some fan reached out into the field and obstructed the catch by one of the players and it ended their season dashed hopes dreams but you know what Cubs fans are resilient they kept coming to games and going to games and watching games and hoping but they really didn't have any hopes that they'd make a pennant run or that they'd ever get to a world series but they just kept going to the games and I wonder if you're here this morning and you're kind of like a Cubs fan you're kind of like Mary and Mary going to the tomb. You're just kind of doing this Jesus thing. You're going to come and you're going to hear about Jesus. And you're going to have the, somebody read a Bible story about Jesus. And you're going to sing a few songs about Jesus. And it's just kind of routine. Because in all practical purposes, Jesus is really dead to you. He's not alive. It's like, what, I mean, what difference does it make in my life on a daily basis, this Jesus thing? I mean, that's where the ladies were. They came to the tomb that day, and they really didn't understand that God had a purpose for their life. God had a plan for their life. God had just purchased their pardon. God had just made provision for their peace with God Almighty. God had just given them a reason to live, and he would given them power that they could live with purpose and meaning and perspective every single day. No, they were bummed out because their hopes were on this person who was now in a tomb. They, like some of us, didn't have a right perspective. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If this Jesus thing is just for right now, which I'm telling you it is for right now, but if it's only for right now, then it's kind of like a bummer because life is short. But in Christ, life is eternal from the moment we put our trust or our faith in him. And that's a big deal. Some of us here know Jesus personally. We've personally put our trust or our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. But we just worship him kind of routinely. Yeah, I kind of got it down. You know, you come in, you sit down, you sing a few songs, and the guy talks, and if he screws up, then uh, we don't take the offering, or we take the offering, and then we do this, and then we say amen, and everybody leaves. And, you know, that's kind of all there is. And then we go about a regular, then we get to real life after we leave here. You know, hey, Easter dinner's cooking, or we're going out, and if he doesn't shut up, we'll miss the buffet line before everybody gets there. And that's how we treat God. I want to tell you, for 13 years, I went to church, particularly at Christmas, particularly at but I went almost every time to church. And for me, it was duty. It was not devotion. There was no genuine, real relationship with God in my life. It was just nothing. I didn't know Christ. I settled for the ritual without a personal encounter with the living God. And it took something supernatural to awaken my heart to the reality. And it did for the women there too. Now, these were faithful followers of Jesus. So there's two categories there's people who know Jesus, for whom coming to church is duty. There's people who don't know Jesus for whom coming to church is duty. But the supernatural awakened them. So we kind of expect the normal. That's one way to deal with the resurrection of Jesus. Then there is this encounter with the supernatural in verses four through seven. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. That's the first indication that something bigger than themselves took place because no slight thing that the stone had been rolled away. Although it was extremely large and entering the tomb they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe and they were amazed. I like the ESV version. It it, it says that they were uh, terrified. They were afraid. White robes. I mean that's like not something you normally see shining bright robes so this was an angelic appearance this was a divine encounter that they had that day and it's interesting because the in the gospel of Matthew Matthew says an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone he just kind of lays it out there okay the angel came rolled away the stone ladies see stone rolled away angel in the tomb Jesus not in the tomb that's the third Indication of something supernatural. So you have this large stone that's been displaced. You have this angelic being who is in place. And you have Jesus who is absent. All of them indicating something is going on. And they were amazed. Or the ESV says they were alarmed. Luke says they were terrified. They were shocked. In Luke chapter 24 verse 5. When we lived in. Belmont, Iowa, several years ago. Uh, the history of Belmont is that in 1966, there was a big tornado that went through Belmont, Iowa. October 14th, 1966. Uh, there were a few people that died in that tornado. One of the men was attending the church that we were attending, and I talked to old Dick Dirks. Now, Dick was a survivor from World War I, and he actually fought as a German soldier in World War I, and he got taken into a prison camp, and the Americans treated him so well that he thought, I want to move there. So after the war, he moved to America and became an American citizen. He was walking in the tornado. He was walking up the the steps in his house during the tornado when a two-by-four went right through the wall in front of him, and he was terrified. And he did, then he did what his wife had been telling him to do, to come to the basement. And so he came to the basement. When these ladies came to the tomb and they saw the stone rolled away and the angel there and Jesus gone, they were amazed and they were terrified. But the angel sought to soothe them with their fears of the supernatural, in verse 6. And he said to them, Do not be amazed or freaked out. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. You're in the right spot, ladies. I mean, once you begin to think, whoa, <laughs> we got it mixed up. We, our GPS took us in the wrong direction. We, we didn't go... I I was going to Montana several years ago uh, for a, a retreat, and I was going to Bozeman, Montana. I called the guy for the retreat place, and I said, okay, how do I get there? He says, don't use your GPS. He says, if you use your GPS, you'll be sleeping in your sleeping bag in your car because it doesn't work out here. He says, we had a guy who said he spent his night in the car on a gravel road in the middle of nowhere because he used his GPS and he couldn't find us. Just follow my directions and you'll get here. These ladies, if you, read, if you would read earlier in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 15, they were there when Jesus was buried. So they knew the location. They showed up at the right spot. It wasn't that they were in the wrong spot. It wasn't that Jesus had somehow been swooned and kind of fallen asleep and then woke up and left the place. It wasn't that the body of Jesus had been stolen. It was Jesus had been buried there, but he wasn't there anymore. And his battered and beaten and bruised body was gone. where to go? Well, the angel told him. He, he's risen. He's risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. And from that moment, Jesus is, is alive. It's not like today. Okay, well, today he rose from the dead. No. He's risen is a present tense. It's continuous since that time. He's alive. And why is that a big deal? Without the resurrection, you know where Christianity would be? In the tank. Because without the resurrection of Jesus, his entire life becomes a hoax. A joke. A bad joke. And his death is some sort of bogus deception that would lead everyone who would follow it into some sort of disillusionment, discouragement, and dismay. That's where we are without the resurrection. But the reality of the resurrection, and if you were, some of us, most of us weren't in early enough to listen to the video that was playing, but there's more historical evidence for the resurrection than there are a lot of other things in ancient history. But I just want you to consider the, these facts. The Christ's resurrection is a reality. He said, I will rise from the dead. In, Mark, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 31, he says uh, that he would, he would rise from the dead. I promise you, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then in Mark chapter 16, we see he did rise from the dead. And then we see in the end of Mark, he says, verse 17, he says, I'm going to appear to my disciples, and that's what he did. Now, it's one thing to say you're going to rise from the dead. It's one thing to say you rise from the dead, and you do rise from the dead. It's another thing to say you're going to rise from the dead, and you do rise from the dead, and then other people see you're risen from the dead. Anybody can say they're going to rise from the dead. Anybody can have an empty tomb, but not anybody can be walking around, and other people see him. And Paul says that it was, he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve, and after that, more than 500 people at one time. And you know what? What's really amazing to me is some of those people died because they said Jesus rose from the dead. Now, if I said that Jesus rose from the dead and he didn't rise from the dead, I'm not going to die for something that's not true. But they did. They went to the grave because they said Jesus rose from the dead. And they believed it. And they lived it out. The best assurance that we can have is that he appeared. Some of you have kids, some of you have grandkids, some of you don't have children yet, but you had parents. And when somebody says, hey, look, I'm going I'm to be there. You know, you know, you got a recital, you got a game, you've got an activity, I'm going to be there. I, I promise you I'm going to be there. What happens if they don't show up? Yeah, well, you don't really trust them anymore. But if they show up, then you know that they care. Now, just because you don't show up to everything your kids do doesn't mean you don't care, okay? Uh, you, sometimes I think we show up too much. That's another sermon. But uh, sometimes our kids need to learn that they're not the center of the universe, okay? Uh, they need to learn that they're not yet, but that's another deal. Anyhow, Jesus showed up, okay? So his resurrection is a reality. Christ's resurrection is our only hope of victory, our only hope of victory. Now, you can write these verses down if you want, but in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is a waste of time. Because we're saying that Jesus rose from the dead when in fact he didn't rise from the dead if in fact he didn't rise from the dead, but he did. And because he rose from the dead, it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, he is the first fruits. Now, we... Most of us are not, uh, in this group, are not from an agricultural background. But a first fruit means the first of the produce that's received, which means there's more coming. And if Christ rose from the dead as the first fruits, it is an indication that there will be other fruits following that rise, and that's the hope that we have, is that because Christ rose from the dead, that we too can rise from the dead and live in new life. That's the promise that he gives. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, that he was delivered up because of our transgressions. And that's why Jesus died. Because we're messed up. He didn't die because he's messed up. He died because we're messed up. He died in our place. He took upon himself the sin that, and the punishment for sin that we deserved. And then it says he was raised in order to bring about, or the, the, the actual Greek construction says because of, but the meaning, I think, is to bring about our justification. Fancy two-dollar word, which means right before God. Because every one of us is born rebelling against God. We are born a sinner, and then we prove we're a sinner when we start doing stuff that's stupid stuff. You know, I mean, I remember at six months of age, my oldest, looking at, now this is how old I am, uh, 8-track, or not 8-track, but a cassette player. You know, we used to have little uh, cassette tapes. You can Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about, okay? And so there's these cassette tapes, and I had a twin track player, and my son is walking, crawling around the the room, and then he gets up, and he looks, and it had a door. You push this little button, and it, it opened, and then you push it shut, and he looked at me, and uh, And he he had a hold of it. It was open, and he had a hold of it. And I said, no. He looked at me again, and he smiled, and he went, like that. (laughs) Just ripped that thing right off. Children are fallen creatures. They are in rebellion against God, just like adults are in rebellion against God. And because we're in rebellion against God, God is a holy and righteous God, and we deserve his punishment. But what we celebrate at Easter is that Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died in our place so that everyone who puts their trust or their faith in his death as the payment for their sin and his resurrection as the proof and the promise that we too will be raised to new life is redeemed, is saved, is delivered from the wrath of God. We're made at peace with him, which is what we really need. You know, Well, I just need a new car. No, you don't need it. I need some new clothes. Well, you might, but you don't really need new clothes. Well, I need some new shoes. Yeah, well, maybe I need a new hairdo. No, you don't need any of that stuff. What we need is to be made right with God because we are in separation from him and deserve an eternity in hell. But God in his glorious and gracious love made it possible that we could be redeemed and forgiven and have eternal life and live with him forever, and that begins now. It's not something for the end. It it includes the end, but it begins now. That's the glorious message of Easter in Christianity. It's not man's work for God. It's God's work through Christ for man that brings us salvation. So some of you are on a hamster wheel, you know. You know, i just got to do more good works. i just got to do more good things, and then God will accept me. Just like you think your dad or your mom or your brother or your sister, they're going to accept you if you just do enough good things. Poppycock, you know, hogwash, that, that's, that's garbage. You and I can't do enough good things to please God. So let's quit trying. And let's accept Jesus as his death on the cross and his resurrection as the proof that he had power over sin and death and hell. And then we have freedom. And then we have purpose in life. You know, one of the things when I was 13 years old, I told you I was 13 years old. I went to church every Sunday. The thing that gripped me was I want to live for something way bigger than myself. Is there some purpose in life that transcends me and now and this? There is. I live for the king of kings. I live to serve him. I live for his purposes which are bigger and better and grander than mine. Now, that doesn't mean I don't live in the world, but I live in the world to bring people and point people to something that's bigger and better so that I have pardon in my life. I know what it is to be forgiven, and I know that I'm a sinner. And I have that weight lifted off of me, and I have peace with God. I don't, I don't fear God's wrath. And I have purpose in life. And I have a perspective that God loves every one of you and wants every one of you to have the same relationship with him that I do and that many other people do so that you can know pardon and peace and purpose and have a life-giving perspective as you go through this life, for all of life, and then at the end. This is the message. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross that we might die to sin, and live in righteous life, by his wounds, we're healed. It's our union with Christ by faith. When I put my faith or my trust in Christ, I become united with him so that his death becomes my death. His resurrection becomes my resurrection. I can walk in what the Bible says, newness of life. So that I have, and I've shared this with our congregation, so that his love becomes my love. His grace, I express that grace. His forgiveness, I am able to forgive other people because of being forgiven myself. This is the message. It's Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, In in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And he says, knowing this, that the old self has been crucified, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. you know, you got a choice if you're a child of God, to sin or not. I told the people in the first service that I was sitting at the the stoplight yesterday over here on Hickman Road, and... uh, Three cars at the stoplight. I'm the third car at the stoplight. Now, how, what are the chances of hitting a red light and being the third car at the red light and not going through on a green? Not very high. I'm sitting at the red light. The person, got to be careful here, in front of me is Texting. Now the person in front of is not texting because when the light went green, that person went, but oh no, Mr. Joe in front of me is texting. So in trying to be sanctified and 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 live out my Christianity, I just went beep on my horn, you know. I didn't go ah, I just beep, beep the horn a little bit, nothing. So then I went beep a little harder. Oh yeah. Now it's yellow, so he goes through. I had to sit at two stinking red lights. But it's the power of Christ that enables Now, I wish I could say I was uh, you know, a winner in this most of the time, but I'm not. But it is the power of Christ in me that enables me not to flip out. You know, I had these visions of, you know, like running the guy down, you know, and like, you know, I said, where is that? No, Lord, no, no. Because that matters not for eternity, but God gives us this grace and power, and it's only through Christ. We expect the normal. When we encounter the supernatural, God enables us to know him personally and gives us power to move on. My question for you is, Do you know Christ personally? The resurrection, folks, is a reality. It is not an April Fool. This is not April Fool. Do you believe it or do you deny it? Have you embraced it or do you reject it? And my prayer for you this morning is that you would accept Jesus' death as a sacrifice you deserve, and the payment that you deserve to pay, and that you would trust in his death, and that alone is a payment for your sin, and you would receive the gift of eternal life and enjoy this resurrection life that begins now. There's one final response. And when you do that, guess what happens? We exit fearfully and joyfully. Interestingly enough, the ladies, did they underst- did uh, their... They came with terror, verse 7. But he says, go tell the disciples, Peter, and um, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said to you, which they did. And they, verse 8, went out and fled from the tomb. That's pretty understandable. I mean, you put yourself in their shoes. Stone rolled away. Angel there, not here. Jesus, he's risen. Oh, I'm scared. And the angel's talking to me. Go, go tell the disciples he's going into Galilee. So they're, they're freaked out and they leave. Paralyzing fear gave way to their praise for God. What's interesting is the text says that they didn't say anything. But if you read parallel texts, you read in Luke and you read in Matthew, they did say something. So which is it? People look at that. They take the Bible and they go, yeah, see, the Bible's contradicting itself. Well, any of us, if we had, all of us gave a different eyewitness account of the same story, guess what? We would bring out different details. So their initial response was they didn't say anything. But after a while, they did say something. They actually told what had happened. He, they said they were awestruck by the marvel of it, and they declared it. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He's not vanquished. He is victorious. He is a victor in the game of life. That's reason to leave here joyful and Excited, fearful. I said fearful, yeah. Reverence for God, what He's done. But joyful in the fact that we can participate in the victory that only Christ can give victory over sin and death and hell. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and only through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Muhammad, you can go to his tomb. Confucius, you can go to the tomb. Buddha, you can go to the tomb. Marks, lenin you can go to the tomb. Their bodies are there. You go to the tomb for Jesus, whoop, he's gone. Because he's risen from the dead. And because he's risen from the dead, you and I can have this new life. And so you say, well, how does that happen? Well, the way that it happens is that you and I personally, individually, must accept it. Yesterday we had a bunch of kids getting Easter eggs, and I told the kids, I said, when do the eggs become yours? When you actually take the egg. When does salvation become ours? When does this forgiveness, this new life begin for us when we personally accept that gift? One of the best ways to do that is just to pray and say, Lord, I'm, I, I am messed up. and I'm, I, I'm either living in rebellion or passive indifference towards you. Either I'm actively refusing you or I'm just like, well, God, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, it's okay. Either way, it's sin. It separates us from God. And we must confess it and then say I accept what Jesus did it makes sense now that his spirit can come to live within me I just need to say Lord I invite you to be my Lord and Master I'm going to turn from my sin I'm going to trust in Christ now you can pray that's what I'm going to invite you to do is to pray and we're going to pray and then we're going to do something that for us in the church is something we do every Sunday and we're going to celebrate the Lord's table and here's the deal As we break the bread, which is a symbol of his body broken, and as we take the cup, which is a symbol of his blood shed, what we do is we do something that helps us keep this service from becoming just normal. It's a reminder of what Christ has done. It's an experience of the supernatural. That's not a supernatural experience, but it's a reminder of a supernatural event. And then this event enables us to leave fearful and joyful. And so that all believers, you're trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior, are invited to take the elements. Now, we're going to do it this way. I'm going to break the bread, and then we're going to pass the bread, and then it will be followed by the cup being passed. If you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we invite you to partake of the bread and of the cup. But do so after you've examined your heart and confessed whatever known sin you have. If you're not a believer or if you're just not right in a right place with God, just let it pass. There's no shame in that. But take this time to reflect, and I challenge you. If you are not a child of God, you're not trusting in Jesus and his death, and that alone is a payment for your sin, you can become his child today by simply acknowledging your sin and inviting him to become your Lord and your master in a way that I'm going to pray right now. Okay, Lord, if there's someone here, I just invite you to pray. If there's anyone here this morning, Lord, who doesn't know you, They just say, yeah, I want this life, this purpose, this peace, this pardon, this perspective. But I don't know you. I just pray, Lord, that they would pray silently to you something like this. The words are not magic, but they express the desire of their heart. And they would say, Lord, I realize I'm living in rebellion against you. And I know that I deserve your punishment. But right now, I just am kind of excited that Jesus died in my place. Don't understand it, can't explain it, but I believe it. And now I just accept his death as the payment I deserve, his resurrection. It gives me the promise that I too will be raised to new life and that I can have that new life, that eternal life that begins right now. So I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. And so Lord, I pray that they would just pray that in their own heart and if they've done that, that they would trust you, that you believe you, confirm it in their minds. And now Lord, as we break this bread, as we take this cup, and we remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that we would... Understand that this is his body broken for us. That we would do this in remembrance of of you. This cup is a new covenant in your blood. That we would do it as often as we drink it in remembrance of you. In Christ's name. okay to say amen. All right? Amen. Uh, we're just glad that you came and joined us for Easter. We uh, wish you a very blessed Easter. Invite you all to come back and join us. Uh, next week, we're going to end up our series in 1 John, and then we're going to be launching a series on some of the characters in the Bible. So may you have a blessed Easter. Enjoy.